1: Good afternoon my conscious co-creators welcome to another edition of the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity i am very very pleased that you are here with me today oh we have a wonderful show in store for you today with a woman i i'm i'm like instantly in love with even though we just met a short time ago um i think you're gonna love her too she's really right up our alley anyway i hope you enjoyed your labor day last week uh, time for us to kind of come back everyone's coming back to work getting back into the groove of things at last uh, Marathon stretch now from now till the end of the year. We got some really great, great shows in store for you. Just to let you know, I'm like booked up with guests into November now. So, uh, uh, it's uh, going to be a busy fall, I can tell already. So I know two weeks now, actually for three weeks, because last show I did, I, I didn't do my quotes of the week. I did quotes from Wayne Dyer to honor his passing. But today we do have once again, our quotes from the universe and from Abraham, let's see what the universe and Abraham have in store for us today. From Mike Dooley and the Universe. Everything is so awesome so fantastic could not possibly be, be better over the top off the chain and out of the park in your life right now trust me the universe Ooh, little uh, i think the universe is having a little bit of fun with us today let's see what abraham has to say when people thought the world was flat it wasn't that their thinking was distorted the data that they were collecting gave them that information It was that they were not broadsided enough to step back far enough to see the big picture. And that's what we see with so many of you. You are so close to the reality that you are creating that sometimes you can't see the bigger picture. Abraham quite interesting and and actually these two quotes go together so well because it is when we can step back and pull back and get a broader perspective of what's going on in our life that we realize things could not possibly be better and that they actually are perfect exactly the way they are even if it doesn't feel like it even if it doesn't seem like it at the time this is not to say that we do not experience contrast this is not to say that there aren't things that are brought up to us that don't feel right to us and we want to change but that's part of the journey that's part of the unfoldment of the universe the more we experience the more we live the more we we interact with each other the more we learn about that much more clarifying what it is that we want to manifest clarifying what it is we want to see in our lives and in the world and it's all perfect it just doesn't necessarily feel that way in the moment. However, when we can step back and take the judgment out of what we're experiencing right at that time, that then it becomes a little easier, a little softer, a little takes a little less effort to kind of get through what we're going through and then it's once we're at the other side and then sometimes even after we're out the other side for quite a while and we're able to look back and reflect we can say "Ooh, you know what that I really grew a lot from this experience sometimes we even at the time we're going through something we think is like so god awful and then when we come through with it and five ten years later we actually look back and laugh and, and I always say, why do we have to take five, ten years to look back on things and laugh? Why don't we just do a little bit more of it in the moment? Because things actually really are pretty funny when you think about it. Um, you know the old quote, "You know, God is the, the universe's greatest comedian playing to an audience that doesn't want to laugh. So it, if we just look for a little bit more of the humor in life, it makes going through everything so much easier. So two uh, wonderful quotes of the day. As always, I think rather apropos for um, who my guest is for that day. And today, it is my extreme pleasure to welcome Jennifer Brown. Jennifer is the founder and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, which is a certified woman-owned and LGBT-owned strategic leadership and diversity consulting firm specializing in the future of the workforce and workplace and dedicated to building more inclusive organization where all kinds of of talent can feel welcomed, valued, respected, and heard. Based in New York City and maintaining a global team, the company, founded in 2006, partners with human resources, talent management, D&I and business leadership. D&I. What's D&I?
2: Diversity and inclusion. Ah, Diversity, Mm -hmm. inclusion
1: and business leadership on change management efforts related to human capital, including the design, development and facilitation of customized interactive classroom and online learning environments and is known as the creator of the ERG progression model. What's ERG? Hmm.
2: Those are called employee resource groups. And I'll talk a little bit later about what those are.
1: Wonderful. And it's a proprietary development tool that facilitates and transform transformation of ERGs into true business partners. Employer of choice clients include such organizations as Cisco, Toyota Financial Services, Wells Fargo, Thomson Reuters, AXA, Disney, New York Life, Target, and many of the Fortune 500, which of these kind of doesn't fit. I mean, Cisco Financial, AXA, Thomas Reuters, Disney. OK, <laughs> Target. OK, um, so it's my extreme pleasure to welcome Jennifer to the Conscious Consultant Hour. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank
2: you so much, Sam.
1: It's a pleasure to have you here. And thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. You're a fellow entrepreneur Mm -hmm. running a small business that I know it's runs our our lives are are overwhelmed sometimes with running a business isn't it
3: mm-hmm.
2: oh yeah it's uh, no, no two days are the same which i love yes
1: <laughs> um so i'm curious uh, did you always kind of have an entrepreneurial spirit when you were a kid i mean i personally like i was like selling newspapers and bars when i was a little kid to make extra money and doing all kinds of things how about yourself
2: yeah i wouldn't say it was entrepreneurial spirit i'd say i was always a probably a change agent and somebody that really Ah. wanted to make the world better uh be a catalyst be in front of people i can really remember Ah. uh as a very small kid wanting to be on the stage oh really yeah Ah. um but i didn't really understand what my purpose would be on the stage um and that's what has come clear obviously Ah. over the years
1: (laughs) right so you actually have a little bit of a theatrical background
2: right i do i do Ah. so i came to new york I was in nonprofit management for in my, in my 20s and making the world a better place, mm-hmm. but I have always been a musician, and I grew up in a musical family, uh. so I had to go to New York to make it. <laughs> I just had to. I call it scratching the itch. You know, from I'm where? Uh, from Boston, but from I'm Boston. originally from California. Okay. So I had come east for college, and I uh, moved to Boston, and I, I loved working for nonprofits, and I thought that would be, mm-hmm. speaking of all those crazy corporate names on my bio now, I, I uh. never would have believed that I would be working for companies uh, even of that size and right. of that nature, right. um, being somebody who's really passionate about making the world better. Right. However, um, I'll get into a little bit later why actually, it's like an incredible place to make the world better. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I moved to New York to be an opera singer and uh-huh. I, s- I finished a master's degree at Manhattan School of Music mm-hmm. and I went and became um, an equity card carrying member and I had an agent and I was doing music theater and opera uh-huh. auditions and doing some off-Broadway mm-hmm. Some regional stuff. And then, uh, yeah, do you want me to keep going on what happened at that point? <laughs> before we well, get into I that just, a little later. You know, but
1: I, I just find the universe, like, such a fascinating place because if you had become a successful opera singer or a successful performer you would never be doing the important work that you're doing today exactly um so i'm just curious like when you sort of decided to not pursue that performing career there must have been like a bit of disappointment or a bit of you know angst over you know wanting to Mm -hmm. be on that stage and be famous but now kind of you know, having made that shift and looking back on it, you're probably a little grateful about I that. I am.
2: It was such a gift in disguise. And to your point yeah. around how do we look at our lives and what's happening and how we're suffering or choosing to interpret that whatever's happening to us should lead to suffering. Yes. Uh, it was suffering at the time. And I what happened is I injured my voice through training uh. and. um And just the intensity of that life. And I ended up having to have two vocal surgeries a year apart. And I literally, my voice was taken from me. Mm. Um, My singing voice, my ability to do eight shows a week, the stamina that's required in that field. Mm. And it was heartbreaking. I, I, um, I thought it was the deepest point that I could reach and it really was. Hmm. However, I was young, you know, and what I realized many years since all of that is it was such a gift because I had to my voice had to come out. I mean the question is how and in what form and what did I have to say? Was it just a matter of artistic expression or was there a message that was really important that I could then use that voice and whenever we're defining that as Was that the most important thing? Um, And it's turned out that I was meant to use my voice, just not as a singer. I was meant to give voice to others. And use my story right. to do that, and that's right. what I get to do every day. So it's such a gift. And
1: so, what was the inspiration for getting into this diversity and inclusion aspect of business?
2: Yeah. So when I just I had to start a new career, and I um, another friend who had been a performer said, "You'd be mm-hmm. a great trainer. You're great in front uh, of audiences. You're mm-hmm. smart. You enjoy yeah. connecting with people." So I ended up getting a second master's degree in organizational development, ah, okay. um, and it was. I felt I'd found my people. Um, Mm. They were people who love other people, the potential of humans, the um, sort of dysfunctions of the workplace and how we could make that better, and um, the ability to facilitate adult learning, which is really mm. very fun for me. So yeah, right. I found this other second career that was just um I felt like another gift. Um the diversity inclusion piece came because I also was closeted as a, a gay person mm-hmm. through my twenties and in, through my performing career, frankly, mm. and into my corporate career in right. the second phase. Right. And um, in meeting people who were activists and advocates internally in organizations Mm and all the banks in New Mm -hmm. York, I realized this was an important part of my toolkit and my Mm -hmm. arsenal that I could bring as a change agent if I were to embrace it and be comfortable with it and integrate it into my organizational development skills. So what ended up happening is the company kind of morphed around me and my own personal Ah. story and what was important to me. And, we ended up kind of building the company and starting to work on diversity strategies for all these larger companies and that was just who I had in my network.
1: So so you were kind of already doing sort of human resources, uh, human capital development Mm -hmm. and then as you became sort of more comfortable to come out and, and really say who you were as a unique and authentic individual so the business changed around that. Um, it's still. I mean, when you made that choice, it still must have not been a very easy choice to make, was it?
2: No, it was tricky. Uh, I could have kept going, and yeah. I'm a, such a type A. I mean, I would continue <laughs> to apply myself and hang in there and say I made a commitment to this, and I've got to see it through. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I guess the fear of being thwarted from a from a uh, messaging perspective was so terrifying to me. The the, uh. the thought of not being able to have a channel mm-hmm. in which to express myself I think on a deeper level mm. was a worse fear I think uh, than not being able to sing as a living. Yeah, so once I I think once I discovered that but it was very difficult. I mean I had to call my agent and say don't call me anymore. I had to give up my uh, equity card. I said I'm going dark for a while and I went and I got a job at a dot com because that was what was going on at the time and I, right. I just hit out and licked my wounds mm-hmm. and was very sad and mm-hmm. mourned the end of that dream, mm-hmm. um, not knowing what was next, but right. taking sort of one step at a time right. and trying to listen to the universe around, you mm-hmm. know, I know I'm going to get the answer here. I'm just mm-hmm. going to need to listen. That's mm-hmm. all I need to do right now. That's and right. and yeah. really, um, I think I was hopefully a little patient with myself, but it can be really hard. It's a judgmental thing when you have vocal surgery, it's a secret that you don't want to tell anyone. Yeah. Um, you get judged for it, you won't get cast, yeah. nobody talks about it, um, and somehow something you did to yourself, you know, yeah. through sort of a you know lack of discipline, et cetera. So I, it was, I was very hard on myself about uh-huh. what happened. I'm and sure. yet, in hindsight, I don't think... I'm not sure that was necessary. <laughs> Is <laughs> it ever necessary?
1: <laughs> no, we're always much, much harder <laughs> on ourselves than we ever need to be. Well, I really want to uh, applaud you for your bravery um, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who... Probably felt the same way, but were never able to kind of take that step forward, or at least not until maybe much later in their life in their career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, uh, if any, and uh, when we come back, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the importance of diversity and inclusion, and and why it's such a passion for you. I mean, outside of sort of the personal relationship, but why you see it as being so important in the workplace, you know, especially today in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to even the past so everybody please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity and my guest this hour is jennifer brown uh, ceo and founder of jennifer brown consulting and we'll be right back
4: You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. What are the latest travel trends? How can travel be a part of your overall health and wellness plan? This is William Paris, lifestyle travel consultant and your host on Travel and Wellness Today. Join me on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time for travel chat, travel tips, and travel news updates. That's on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com
1: You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we're talking with Jennifer Brown about diversity and inclusion. So after you kind of went through this turmoil in your life and and you changed from your singing career to, to sort of human capital development and then really made a very conscious choice to focus on diversity and inclusion, um, do you remember what it was like when you first started to kind of come out and say, like, this is the work I'm doing now?
2: I do. I do. It depended what I was teaching. So, uh, as somebody who facilitates for a living, I would stand uh, in front of the room and, and if I were teaching, say, presentation skills, which is what uh, I started, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes perfect sense for yes, a performer. Yeah. I sort of made my cut my teeth actually on leading sessions where I was videotaping people, giving them feedback, helping them structure uh, their message, but also helping them use the room and the space and their uh, body and their vote and their uh-oh. vocal.
1: You guys all hearing this? I have to be uh, like extra on my ball today. <laughs> That's right. Watch it. <laughs> I'll give you a list of. Feedback, Um, wonderful.
2: So it was. It was really fun, but I think being being LGBT didn't. It wasn't germane, or -hmm. at least I didn't think it was. right? Right, but what I started to evolve to was after leading session after session with managers and executives in different companies, I started to realize that my voice and my experience, not just as a practitioner, but who Mm. I am and what I've lived through as an employee who was making the choice to be closeted was so important. It was such an important piece to bring up and to make sure that people considered. Um, And I knew that there was so much work to be done in organizations to create an open environment for everyone, not just LGBT people, but everyone to as we say, bring their full selves to work. Right, and so I started right. to, uh, to, form a point of view i think from all the brokenness that mm-hmm. i was witness to day after day listening to managers and organizations around i mean a whole host of things right. you know how hierarchical it is mm-hmm. how they could you know they weren't listened to taken seriously how mm-hmm. they were frustrated thwarted not you know not it wasn't really diversity related but right. in a way all paths kind of lead back to it diversity. sounds more like corporate culture related. it is it's cultural challenges yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and so when you first started to do this, what was the kind of reaction you got from the people who, let's say, had known you as doing just... You know human resource development presentation schools and now you're doing this other stuff Were they kind of were they confused were they kind of negative or were they like oh that's good we need that
2: yeah I think it was very supportive I sort of switched worlds mm. I had to kind of hop over to a whole different realm ah, um, okay. which is fine mm-hmm. I, I see you know our lives are periods of incubation yep. and becoming and once you're incubated then you're ready to bust out of the cocoon you've learned what right. you need to learn from the phase and then you jump into the next stream and start swimming so I learned everything I needed to facilitate adults and they're learning and I learned tons of context about the organization Mm. uh, however we define it right but I think I was ready to add my personal experience to the mix as context and as a lens that I was comfortable speaking from and I also got the moral authority I think, to feel good about standing up when I knew what all my friends were going through Mm. on Wall Street, you know, and in the corporate sphere and how they were struggling to really get their voice heard. But I knew that companies really wanted to hear that voice. And so that was the piece, I think, that that gave me permission in my heart Uh. and mind to say, I'm a messenger and the the information I can provide is going to motivate people to actually stand up and be heard because it's being welcomed now doesn't mean there were no wrinkles in the process of course (laughs) of course how
1: long ago was that
2: I would say this was I started the company 10 years ago I think we started to really focus on diversity six or seven years ago and I sort of discovered this whole world of practitioners and Mm. trainers and people who'd been facilitating on this for 25 years Ah. Um, so all the pieces started to make sense and I realized actually what makes us unique is we we apply diversity practices, but through an organizational change mm. lens, meaning right. it's not just a, what we call one and done. It's sort of thinking about a system holistically and saying, right. OK, what are all the pieces that need to be in place? Diversity is a tricky thing. It's yeah. um, it's subtle and it's kind of all around you. It's like in the air you breathe right. when you're pervasive at a company.
1: And it's uh, yeah, it, it's just it's there. everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you think companies were more open to kind of hear this message now because of. Uh, I don't know, just the change in society or because we've become more of a global economy and there's more pressure now um, for organizations to really operate in the best environment possible
2: yeah I think there's a bit what we call the business case right, right. Um, and most most leaders although I find leaders all the time that have no idea what I'm talking about yeah. about this but <laughs> when we try to really boil it down it's it's the workforce so your mm. workforce is changing and specifically who you're trying to recruit looks mm. different than your executive team so that's right. a disconnect when when you work so hard and you pay so much and you put so many resources to bringing in the best talent but they arrive and they right. look around them right. or they hear jokes being told and nobody saying anything or they look at the board and they see no women and no people of color and there's no out executives this younger generation takes diversity much more for granted it's more embedded in the world they've grown up in and they have higher expectations but organizations are really lagging behind so just when you look around you you say hmm you know maybe i'm not welcome here because i don't see somebody that looks like me, right. whose career I can grow into.
1: Is this something you think started with the millennials, or is it like Gen Y, Gen X? It's,
2: type you know, Gen X, poor Gen X, yeah. that's my, gen, my generation. <laughs> we're the forgotten children. Um, right. <laughs> we're, you know, we're half the size of the baby boomers and right. Gen Y millennials. We have not been, we just haven't had the critical mass, I think, to make our our needs known and to have the right. company come back to us and take that seriously for some right. reason we've kind of been overlooked I think it's the power of the baby boomers as well who are staying yeah. in the workforce a lot longer yes. Yes. they are parking it you know for mm. economic reasons or whatever they're not done I mean they're right. aging they're, they're super smart they've got tons of institutional knowledge they're sticking around because of financial reasons whatever and I understand that so but, it's creating a bottleneck for my generation mm. to really move up the chain and also right. to have bigger jobs and you know say what we want to say so gen y coming along behind us has kind of demanded change mm. you know they've done it in a different way
3: right.
2: they've done it in a very entitled way and that's the word that's associated with them a lot right. but i right. i always say to leaders i work with gen xers and baby boomers this is what we want actually right. we just couldn't quite we couldn't quite shape the workplace in the way that they are very clearly asking for it to change and this is all good it is all I don't disagree with a single I mean maybe you know they shouldn't be able to have lunch with the CEO tomorrow which is the big joke (laughs) but everything else (laughs) and why not I think actually we should be able to reach our CEO and say I want to know that person why not
1: right right and for so many reasons I mean for loyalty for understanding for motivation and wanting to know like people really care and Uh, You know, I had somebody on my show a couple of years ago who wrote a book all about the millennial generation and how, you know, they would just like not return from lunch if they felt like, uh, you know, their managers really didn't care about them. You know, they would no, they have no fear. For, of like you know hopping jobs and, and <laughs> saying you know goodbye and, know. and you know bad references who cares you know they'll always
2: like, mo- move home too if it doesn't work right. out mom and dad really want them to come home so unlike our parents I think who were like shoo yeah get, get out, out of
1: here <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly so it's, but it's interesting how like all these different sort of uh, uh, trends and waves kind of coming together to a point where it, it's all, it's really in some ways you can call it like a more enlightened corporate culture evolving out of what's happening now i know there are some people out there who are like let's just tear everything down and start mm. fresh i'm a big believer that you don't f- throw the baby out with the bathwater. like there are some good things about how things work There are some not necessarily so good things, but that's okay. Let's Mm -hmm. change the things Mm -hmm. we don't like and and keep the things that we do like.
2: Totally. We say in consulting, meet the client where they're at, you know, and I think there's a ton to be leveraged that's. To be proud of in a brand you know and, and i right. know lots of proud employees employees yeah, that yeah. feel very connected from a purpose standpoint right. to their employer
1: and, and not necessarily from those brands you would expect like you know it, it's not surprising someone's proud to work at apple computers mm-hmm. right because yeah. of the reputation but i'm sure there are some other organizations you've worked with that it's you know people would like a huh when they when like somebody who's associated with that organization is proud to be there
2: absolutely it's not just the consumer brands it's some yeah. of the what we call b2b business to business brands you know right. um, it can be banks and financial services it can be missile defense i mean there is yeah. crazy advanced diversity and inclusion stuff going on at my missile defense um really uh, contractors like raytheon and lockheed uh, martin they are doing really cutting-edge work wow. around diversity they are they are they're the kinds of companies that have programs just for white, straight male executives talking about how they can be learn to be advocates for inclusion mm. and they take them off site and they talk about this. I mean, wow. they, they really welcome in the, what I call the majority that I don't think traditionally has been a right. part of the conversation. Right. And that's where, that's the work we need to do in yeah. order to take this to the mainstream. It Absolutely. can't so much be the I, choir. I, and
1: I'm so glad to hear that because I actually had a business in the aerospace industry um it was an online database in the early dot com days from like the 2000s 2005 two thousand five, six, seven. and one of the hardest parts for me as this like young upstart from new york was the defense industry let's face it it is a good old boys network it really is and you know i was there like trying to make this work and showing them like this new way of of getting information out and doing stuff and it was such an uphill battle like every single day until you know when when the shuttle columbia blew up i said like that's Mm. it i need to put this to bed for now and 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 wait because things aren't going to change but you know i would say out of and I've worked in I've had businesses in many different industries but the the defense industry and aerospace cuz it's very closely related mm-hmm. the most conservative industry I've ever seen the least open to change and the least open at that time at least to this idea of diversity inclusion even though there were tremendous government programs for them to use small businesses Mm -hmm. and for them to use minority women-owned businesses and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was Mm -hmm. this weird juxtaposition of like that's where effort was being made, yet you weren't really seeing it in the day-to-day.
2: Right. And companies and do, a, I think, a poor job internally communicating all the great things that they're doing. I think that right. continues to be a challenge. And the bigger the company, the more global the company, the more difficult it is to figure out, like, where are we doing good work with diversity and inclusion, community outreach? Um, what do we sponsor? What's our corporate social responsibility? I mean, it's up to a lot of us to try to decode these complex organizations yeah, and yeah, find our yeah. way to fellow, fellow advocates, because they're the right there I work with all of them so Uh, to me it's a really exciting moment I think it's a great moment to take your platform as well and and be assured that your voice needs to be heard and there's actually interest in an investment in hearing your voice right
1: wonderful wonderful okay let's take a quick break and when we come back let's talk about what did it take to kind of shift that mindset a little bit and 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 you know what are the challenges and what are the the, maybe some of the tools that you use to do that and of course if anybody has any questions would like to ask Jennifer or myself any questions questions, please feel free to call in. Our call-in number is 877-480-4120. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, and we'll be right back.
4: Listening to the Talking Alternative Network. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio.
0: 24 hours a day.
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity, and today we're awaking humanity all around diversity and inclusion. So I'm curious, Jennifer, when you come into an organization and, and they hire you to help with this whole idea of diversity and inclusion, what are like some of the initial challenges that you normally have to deal with and, and how do you go about shifting that mindset, that corporate culture, that consciousness around what it means to be inclusive and diverse in the workplace?
2: Right. So you know, executives think they don't have anything to learn. So mm. you have to figure out how are we going to help Trick them, them into learning? learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Trick them into it. I'm pretty good at that. And I'm like, guess what? You just, you know, you just learned. But they don't want to admit that they can't, they aren't competent in it. You know, and right. I think that's right. that's part of what needs to change as a side note. Like that the leader is not able to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um I I do this work for a living, and I'm Mm -hmm. learning every single day what I don't know about Mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion. You know, I come from my own lens. I come from an upper-middle-class background. If I walk in the room, people at all do not get my life right, Right. actually, which is a very powerful teaching point. Mm -hmm. You know, and I get to come out and kind of startle everybody, and then they have the the deer-in-the-headlights moment, and it's all good. But I say, you know, we... I make assumptions still because we're all hardwired and we were all raised to have this shorthand around who is this person sitting across the table from me. And when I stand up and say, guess what? The white guys have a diversity story too.
3: Mm.
2: We need to find that and we need to make sure we all understand because we do understand what it feels to be excluded. How do we though share that, talk about it um, and how do we use it as a leadership tool? So. So I get to work with executives sometimes on bringing them along that journey. But um, my favorite part is probably focus groups. We enter an organization Uh, and we interview everyone and we we literally get the women together. We get the people of color together. We get Gen Y together and we just talk about how do you experience this culture Mm -hmm. and the amazing thing over and over again, no matter how progressive the company is, Mm -hmm. um, there are differences in terms of how women feel, how an African-American employee might feel. And when they get into a room with each other, there are things that are said that they feel safe to say. Uh. And... They could have never articulated them before, literally. Right. But they're telling us, and so we get to take that and go and feed it back anonymously as a change tool with right. the powers that be. And,
1: and, and then, are the executives often
2: surprised? Totally surprised, <laughs> and, and and sort of chagrined. I mean, they yeah. they they. It's sort of a not under my watch. How could how could women in our organization feel like that? Here's the long list of ways that we support them. Right. And so it's this disconnect around. Yes, but they're still feeling that they're under-supported right. or they're underrepresented, or right. that they don't get the promotional opportunities. Right. So there's this perception versus reality aha right. moment.
1: And, and is that mostly because of not so much like what are the structures in place, but more because of the personalities of the individuals involved?
2: It can be both. both. Sometimes it's structural. Oh, it is. Um, okay. Yeah, like for instance, um, say they're deciding who's going to get promoted. Um, they do what we call talent reviews. So yeah. everybody yeah. looks at all the managers at a certain level and says who's ready for promotion, you may not have any female or people of color talent in that pool. And nobody will say anything or notice anything or think to say, gee we are not evaluating one woman today uh, and it's a question of increasing your sensitivity and it's small things but that's a structural thing that I think if an executive or a leader says no I will interview mm-hmm. go back to the drawing board with your slate mm-hmm. I don't see any diverse candidates and mm-hmm. I want to interview it's not quotas right. it's it's that look there's a lot of talent it's out just there. kind
1: of bringing the awareness yeah to it. absolutely
2: but then it's also it is also subtle sort of cultural behaviors it's yeah. for LGBT people of course we're always watching watching out for did the person say wife and husband mm-hmm. versus partner you know and we're making a yeah. judgment around does this person get it have right. do they have cultural competency around my community
3: yeah. are
2: they going to understand me and my life or are they still using husband or wife and right, i think right. it's small and it's such right. a it's such a fixable thing right Right. Um, right. And, it's
1: not, and it's not necessarily even something that they're consciously doing to be exclusive but they just haven't been educated exactly and it hasn't been brought to their awareness and the more we kind of bring these issues up and bring it into people's awareness they're like oh okay i didn't know yeah. let's yeah. I can ch- I can change I can make that oh, yeah. change it's not a big deal absolutely
2: and the funny thing is people are on board conceptually it's more like how do I can you give me tools and right. uh, now I so I'm, I'm bought in I'm, I'm willing right. now I've got to get ready I've right. got to prepare myself and how do I and then how do I ask my team do you feel heard and welcomed here mm, and cross that mechanism. yeah cross that line of difference and a lot of times if you're if you're of a different background and you're asking the question right. there's not an automatic trust about yeah. where you're coming from yeah. you know there's not at all this person has my best interests at heart and and so the person on the receiving end of this goes through a calculation around can I trust this person mm. are they gonna hear me mm. if I'm vulnerable mm. um, And what are they going to do with that information? And does my company care? Mm. So those are sort of, that's the math we go through um, when you're sitting, when you're on the receiving end of that kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. And yet... I think I, to build competency we have to ask the questions we have right. to be curious we have to right. say I might be having this experience you may be having a totally different experience right. if we could just get better at having those conversations
1: right. we could right. make better
2: organizations right. and that
1: that's true regardless of the size of the organization yeah. I mean whether it's a small, medium or large organization that's a very important conversation I totally think add.
2: it applies absolutely yeah. um, I know I, I have mostly women working for me so our, our diversity uh. <laughs> is where are the men are men, <laughs> <We're> men. <laughs> Um, you know, traveling
1: in spiritual circles, I often find myself, I'm like one of three guys in a room of 30 women. And we love
2: having you. You're the right kind of guy. We'll have you anytime. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
1: um, I'm curious like, when an organization sort of says, like, brings you on board and says, okay, yeah, we want to be more sensitive, we want to make this change. How long does it take to start mm. to implement things and to actually for the people to feel like, okay, yeah, I, I can feel. I can be more open and express Mm -hmm. how I'm feeling about it. Because sometimes, as you just said, you know, they don't feel like they can really be heard or that they can trust the, these people now just because they're changing their tune. Mm-hmm. So how long does it take to build that trust? I'm sure it's different for every situation yeah. but there must be some generalities. Oh boy.
2: It takes a while. It depends how intentional the company leadership is about uh, communicating it and mm-hmm. where they communicate it and how authentically uh, they communicate it. Okay. I also think we as diverse talent and I'll just kind of put myself in a bucket of that we're always watching what the company is doing externally mm. and it's. Sometimes the, the the criticism you can level at companies is they're trying to go after the diverse dollar, but they're not doing the work internally. Uh, so, but sometimes you'll have a company that does incredible work internally and has no external brand relating uh, to how diversity friendly they are, or they're not going right, after sure. um, diverse dollars and spend. So I think the perfect world, we've got a system that matches up the internal matches the external, the words right. match the music.
3: Right. Um,
2: and that somebody sitting there can say my company respects my community as mm-hmm. customers, mm-hmm. respects my community from an outreach perspective and recruitment mm-hmm. perspective, and mm-hmm. they're respecting my career as I grow internally mm-hmm. here. And right. once those pieces are in play, it takes a while to kind of suss out, right. is, do I have kind of all three? Right. And therefore, I think I feel safer to be myself and sort of uncover what makes me unique mm. when I hear this and see this occurring around me on a regular basis. That's the other right. thing you can't just, you know, communicate. Right. At once. It's
1: not a one time. No, thing.
2: And it's yeah. gotta be authentic. You know, I think I've seen a lot of CEOs or leaders stand up and sort of hit their talking points. And, yeah. um, what I want them to do is share a story. I want yeah. them to be authentic and vulnerable. Right. I want them to talk about how they're still learning, even right. though they're the CEO. And I think um, all of us at any level can say, teach me. You know, I I really want to be better at this. I think that's very disarming for, you know, somebody who's having, you know, has traditionally been a, quote unquote, the only one in the room or the minority yeah, in the yeah, equation. Yeah, yeah. And, and do
1: you have maybe an example or, 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 or a case study or story about how
2: uh,
1: this change has really helped an organization, like just be a better business in a way?
2: Yeah, I, there, I think there's... Um, I don't know if they segment their shoppers and consumers, you know, in a retail outlet like Target, but they, you know, they have Pride Month merchandise and Uh, they sell people love the Target brand. Right. And uh if you think that 10 percent of your customer base is LGBT, that's a lot of dollars that you can capture just by doing the right thing and showing up in the right way in the world because everybody is watching whether you're an employee or you're a customer deciding where you're going to spend that dollar um diverse talent is constantly assessing the company they're spending with because they want to see that they mean what they say and that they are saying the right things and they're backing it up with action so and that can actually extend to the um Socio-political, economic realm, like Salesforce coming into Indiana around the Religious Freedoms Act mm. situation, and saying, "Look, we employ a lot of people here, mm. and if we need to take our business elsewhere because we don't feel that you are making mm. the right decisions for equality and inclusion, that doesn't square with our cultural values." No. So that really hit the state in its in its pocket, I bet. and I bet. it forced some action. So yeah. that, this is why I get excited about. CEOs weighing mm-hmm, in on social mm-hmm. issues right. uh, where they feel comfortable. Of course, we had right. the Apple um, and boy, bless him. He's just been incredible. The new CEO yeah, yeah, coming good, out and yeah. then putting Apple on the map who wasn't really, honestly, I don't, I didn't know Apple before his, um, his uh, tenure, uh-huh. but I don't think that actually diversity and inclusion was something they talked about as an enabler and a, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we felt the brand was yeah. really progressive. But I I don't know if it was so intentional. And then they went from like zero to 60 and they had like a thousand people at pride in San Francisco. And I mean, it just like blew the doors off and they did it so beautifully. Like they do everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it wasn't always that way. I mean, I think if you talk to Steve Jobs about diversity, I don't Mm -hmm. know what he really would have said about it. He probably needed a little coaching.
1: (laughs) I don't know. But I imagine, you know, Silicon Valley and California, they were in the heart of it. Plus, uh, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. they
2: struggle. They struggle, too, with diversity. I mean, look at the numbers coming out of, you know, they've got 3% African-Americans at a lot of the tech companies. They've got women. The numbers of women, percentage-wise, are in the teens in many of them. So actually, they're they're very much lagging, even though product-wise and Mm innovation-wise, they are very progressive cultures in many ways. And I love working with tech companies. I love it because they're smart. They want to understand the concepts. Um, I think they're they're it's all that companies about companies tend to
1: also be more flexible yes. and, and nimble. more nimble and, yeah. and, and, and more open to change in, absolutely because they're all about change they're all about all making about things change, change. absolutely and, and you know this whole idea of just just you know the, 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 that to me the, the biggest vote we get to make is the vote we do with how we spend our dollars and that you know as people are becoming more aware of what are the corporate cultures of the companies that we decide to use that, you know, oh, well, this company doesn't really support diversity. This company does. I'm going to shift my spending there. Or, you know, uh, just like, you know, is it organic or non-organic? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. its it eco-friendly, not eco-friendly? Is it, Are this company giving back to the planet or not giving back to the planet? Absolutely. Like all of these kinds of things that are our biggest way of, of kind of supporting these companies is where do we decide to spend Absolutely our dollars? Agree. And I think that's not just on a consumer level, but can also be on a B2B level because even small and mid-sized companies 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 who are led by individuals that have certain values themselves may decide to shift
2: totally where they like we're a diverse supplier and and we want to do business with, um, other with partners space. that understand yeah. so we sell to corporate who want to know us because they want right. diversity in their supply chain so it's uh, really cool also what's happening in that whole yeah. space too
1: wonderful wonderful okay believe it or not the hour goes by so fast time for our last commercial break of the okay. hour when we come back why don't we talk a little bit about the future of the workforce in the workplace like this is where we are now let's take a Mm -hmm. little peek into the future and see where we're going wonderful Uh, so everybody please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity with my guest jennifer brown and we'll be right back
4: You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Dude. 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 Transforming Tuesday nights from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern on TalkingAlternative.com. It's
0: the dudes of disruption. The Dudes of Disruption is a new show geared toward the global tribe of disruptors who are committed to interrupting the automatic
1: ways of their lives so they go out and leave their mark on the world powerfully.
0: Consider every Tuesday night, 8 to 9 Eastern, on TalkingAlternative.com, forever disrupted. The Dudes of Disruption, disrupting your automatics. Dude.
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. My guest this hour has been Jennifer Brown of Jennifer Brown Consulting, talking all about diversity and inclusion in the workforce. So, we've been talking kind of about like the past and kind of how we got to where we are today. Where do you see things going two, three, four, five, 10, 15 years from now? Do you think that, that, there won't be a need for your services.
2: <laughs> I wonder, I do wonder yeah. that. I think millennials are ushering in a different definition of diversity. So, yeah. when we had these employee resource groups you mentioned earlier, ERGs, yeah. they were along identity lines. So, they were uh. women's group, they were an African American group, Hispanic group, disabilities uh. group. Um, But there's more and more what we're calling allies that are coming into these groups. So Uh, what's happening now is is especially the younger folks are allies for inclusion generally. I mean, they really want uh, to. um, They're very altruistic as a generation. And so they are getting involved to the point where they're actually outnumbering (laughs) the numbers of diverse Folks in the groups, which is interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's sort of busting the doors open. Like in gay groups oh. that I know of in corporate America, there's maybe eighty percent heterosexual allies that make up the membership. Really? Yeah. So we wanted this. I mean, this mm. is this is getting to the majority, yeah, I think. Um, yeah. and we needed help because I think you can only be the advocate for so long, right, right, and right. that's a little perilous in terms of people associating you
3: right.
2: with um a community, and that can be still still a little bit dangerous. Right. Um, right, there's right, fear right. around that, so. Um, um, I think that's going to bring a sea change. Um, the see. other thing is organizations. So do you think we're pretty yeah. close
1: to that tipping point?
2: Uh, oh boy, we still have so much work to do. Um, okay. I think organizations are still very hierarchical. They're very mm-hmm. like you look at the org charts. They're mostly vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a, a structure that enables true collaboration and ideas okay. to bubble up from the bottom and the middle. Okay. And I think companies are going to have to figure out. All and right. maybe diversity and diverse voices uh-huh. holds one of the keys around okay. sort of re- jiggering our organizational structures right
1: okay okay so i interrupted you you're about to go off oh i don't remember well we're talking about the future yeah the future
2: Um, i think the other thing is um, the traditional job and Mm -hmm. as as determined and defined as it Mm -hmm. is i think this whole freelancer world and Mm -hmm. reality as much as we're talking about companies and loyalty and how do we get people to stay? I think the value proposition has to be stronger to stay. Um, It's not as strong as it needs to be, and the the allure of working for yourself, which is what I've chosen and all Mm -hmm. of my folks that work for me, is of course that you can shape Right. Um, as a contractor, you can shape your life. You can shape the kinds right. of projects you work on. You right. have the freedom to have your work-life balance. And, and,
1: and, and your organization, I mean, you actually implement, you, you walk your talk. Yeah. So maybe you talk for just a minute about like how your organization is structured and how you work. Because you have people... You haven't even met. You haven't even. I mean, this blows my mind <laughs> that you have employees. You you haven't even been in I the same room I haven't seen
2: for like a year and a half. Ah. Yeah, I know. I miss them. We pass <laughs> like in airports, and we're like, hey, <laughs> high five. Yeah, we work completely virtually. We're using all the tools. Um, we are. Um, I allow people to and encourage them. To choose their hours, and they can say no to things that I ask them for help on. Um, They can take on as much as they need. Um, You know, as the owner, things eventually fall back to me if they don't. You know, um, but I really, I kind of believe because I was subject to roles that didn't feel like a fit for me for Mm. so long, and I think that was part of my creative artist being stifled, and it was part of me trying to assimilate to something that didn't feel like home. So I think for for all of us, I want my Folks to feel they're they're loving what they do, mm. they're working in their sweet spot, mm. um, and it's my job as a leader to kind of fill in the blanks around that. and right. And sometimes it can be tough. We're all in different right. time zones. We all have part time schedules. Um, you Wh- know, what would you
1: say is the biggest challenge with this? I kind think of structure?
2: the structure challenge is feedback. I think, Uh. I think being able to be looking over somebody's shoulder or sitting next to them, talking about what they're doing, maybe giving them ideas, that whole ability to have collaboration Mm -hmm. in the creation of solutions is I think difficult, more difficult. We all work in a lot of isolation and then we sort of come together and review. So if I could have my druthers, we'd be in each other's. Hearts and minds collaboratively, but it's just really difficult to mimic that, right, even right. with all the great tools that are out there. Right, right, right. Um, and I think just community. I mean, we yeah. we would have fun together. We able to celebrate <laughs> wins. Mm-hmm. You know, we we end up at like putting a little emoticon for a, a champagne glass in Skype mm-hmm. and saying great job and
3: yeah. great news, <laughs> and nicely
2: done, and virtual cheers. You know, and yeah, then we're sort of yeah. on to the next. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a little crazy, but um, I know that it's the way of the future, and I think we're, we are are taking our own medicine and trying mm. to figure out how do you do this but i think there's something to be learned
1: what do you think is your own personal challenge for the future
2: <laughs> oh my challenge is i i want to reach more people oh. i i need to be the evangelist okay. and being the evangelist means you're not in front of a computer screen every day right. you know you are out right. talking to people influencing right. people you're you're trying to influence people with influence right that's where I see my unique role is being able to be in that room, right. and and it's probably maybe it's executives, maybe it's the white guys, maybe mm. it's um, it's the folks that really need to hear the message from a person like me mm. in my way of getting sharing it.
1: Getting TED talk out there. Yeah,
2: getting the talk out there, writing the book, right. um, being accessible on video. Mm. I think we're very much of a boutique consulting shop and we sort of roll up our sleeves and do really awesome work, but it's mm. very company specific and sort of hard to see. I think we right. need to elevate our message and right. we need to reach that person that's the only diverse person in a country. I mean, we we come across them all the time and they say, they're just hungry for community. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes they'll say to me, I'm so glad you exist. Just keep Mm -hmm. going. Just keep running as fast as you can. Keep doing that work. And, you know, they want to work for us. They want to, they want to, yeah, they definitely want to jump over. And there's just so (laughs) much, there's so much pent up want to be. To, to connect in to wherever you're working. I mean, work yeah. is so personal for so yes. many of us. We want yes. to give our gifts. so much of our
1: identity tends to be tied up in our work. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm here always about raising people's consciousness and getting their identity to be something greater than their work. Um, And then the work is really only one aspect of what we do, but still sort of traditionally, you know, when you meet somebody at a party, you know, what's the first thing you usually say to them, (laughs) right? right? What do you do? In other words, what's your work? Uh And we're all so much more than our work.
2: But it's so American, too. I feel like we are total workaholics. And yet I think we really... I think we do connect in on a very different level. I mean, I know work after a 12 or 14 hour day, like, you know, when you feel, still feel energized and you still, and then you go to a fundraiser that's related to your (laughs) work. You know, it's, it's, um, it can be the challenge of virtual working like we are too, is boundaries. I mean, Mm. I think I work out of my home and all of us do. And um, I will work, I will work like Mm. crazy hours and just go into a zone. And I think to the detriment, um, yeah. of the balance that a lot of us and right. i see that as a cultural thing i yeah. wonder about what it's like to be european and have yeah. eight weeks off or or have a 35 hour week yeah. like would you be able to connect in and and kind of give that extra and create something in that well, context
1: y- you know it's a one of the things i talk about now and then on the show is about the the buddhist concept that i learned from Geshe michael roach of the di- who wrote this book the diamond cutter highly recommended. Mm. Uh, about like taking a day off in the middle of a week Mm. no phone calls no technology nothing related to work just to go out there and to give your mind some diversity Mm. to think about nature do something fun whatever so that when you come back thursday morning you're refreshed renewed you can see everything with a new perspective and new Mm -hmm. eyes and that and that his his thing was that you're actually more productive mm-hmm. this way mm-hmm. and uh, I, I mean just with personal coaching clients I see they, they get burnt out like work 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 so much and I'm like when do you give yourself free time mm-hmm. that's unscheduled that's, mm-hmm. that's you know uh, unstructured just to play and, and and almost nobody does. I
2: know and some companies are starting to do the Google thing which is the 20% of uh, your time go play. We don't want you yeah. here we don't want you working on deliverables so I think this the the criticism of the new world of work and the always-on culture and the working from right. home thing is it sort of, you know, you might be able to take your kid to school or pick them up or do other things, but then you're back online at night. Yeah. And so I think there's a different level of balance challenge that we all have now, right. where we're trying to live in an integrated way. Yeah. And then you have companies who are wiping out um, floors of their offices and just creating open office plans where you have to sign out. Oh, really? You have to sign out a cube. Or a, a desk, you know, oh. and so most of the space is you have a locker, and uh-huh. then you've got common areas, and wow. this has caused a lot of consternation.
3: Huh. I think
2: probably especially with the older generations, but I think yeah. with a lot of people, like introverts, really struggle yeah. with that kind of open office plan.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, um, yeah, And so the dream of kind of restructuring our physical architecture mm-hmm. of our work environment right. in the office.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, there are some things that are going really well there, and then I think there are some things we still haven't quite so figured sounds.
1: out. It sounds like like making a co-working an internal co-working space for your employees. That's really fascinating because mm-hmm. I know so many individual entrepreneurs who love right. going to co-working spaces like The Yard or WeWork because they, they, they don't want to be at home just working by themselves even though they're not part of
2: a big exactly. company. So they, need the like, yeah, they need the collaboration. They need to be able to go to the kitchen and chat with somebody, talk right, about relaxing. That right. sort of allows your your brain to recalibrate and, right, right. and then feel refreshed. Right. So yeah, I think there's something to those spaces. But corporate America is totally going for that i wow. think um and i i don't know it's almost leading to a little more isolation it's like now we're mm. fighting over who signed out that desk and who mm. you know whose favorite spot is where and nobody talks right. to each other everyone's got their headphones in yeah, as yeah. they're working so they physically they might be in the office but they're right. somewhere else right.
3: Right, right so
2: you know where is the sense of community right. related to the company uh, which is what where we sort of started this conversation right yes. like what does it mean to work for this company and where do we Where's the esprit de right. corps here that connects us together? Right. Um, and that's going to continue to be a challenge. I think diverse networks are a great way yeah. to keep that tether to the company yeah Um, yeah wonderful well we're going to have to
1: leave it there unfortunately we're out of time if people would like to learn more about you get in touch with you how would they contact you absolutely so
2: please go to our website which is jenniferbrownconsulting.com we've got a lot of white papers you can read on the kinds of topics we've talked about today generational diversity LGBT um, executive leadership with diversity Um, follow me on Twitter which is at Jennifer Brown I don't know how I got that handle, but I did (laughs) congratulations Um, yeah thank you and our LinkedIn you can look me up and the company up on LinkedIn and Facebook as well and or drop us an email um, we're always reachable info at Wonderful, and we'd of course be happy to help you whatever their size of organization um, if you are serious about this and you mm-hmm. are passionate and um, I, w- I don't think there is an organization that shouldn't be thinking about this
1: Yeah, so. absolutely wonderful thank you so much Jennifer it's thank been a pleasure you. having you here I wish you all the success Thanks in the world and so love I love the work that you're doing and, so much, and I yeah. appreciate the time so everybody thank you for listening um um, as I mentioned before, Kevin Barbaro is taking a little bit of break from his show, but um, Coffee Talk 3.0 will be coming back as Coffee Talk 4.0 or 4.0 or 4D or something. So uh, you can stay tuned. But we still got some of his in the replay. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.
4: If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at monty at montytaylor.com. That's monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at montytaylor.com. You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network
3: at www.talkingalternative.com. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
0: Join us for the 14th Annual Vigil for International Peace and Ecology on Sunday, September 20th, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. A celebration of live music and dance performances, art installations, and a World Peace Flag Ceremony that celebrates the United Nations International Day of Peace. That's Sunday, September 20th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Park, Nuremberg, Banshell by the Bethesda Fountain. For more information or to volunteer, go to VigilForInternationalPeace.org. That's number four in the URL. Or call 646-765-7890. That's 646-765-7890. See you there.
4: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.